The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. This episode of The Writer Files is brought to you by the inspiring team at Author Accelerator. There's never been a better time to get serious about that book idea that's been rattling around in your head. And working with an Author Accelerator book coach is the best way to write forward. Author Accelerator book coaches give writers feedback, deadlines, and step-by-step guidance while you write so that you can actually finish your book. Your book coach will give you the customized tools and blueprints to success that are so often lacking in the traditional publishing world. And if you think book coaching sounds like a gig you'd like to do, many authors and copywriters have the exact skill sets needed to become great book coaches themselves. Author Accelerator offers intensive book coach training and master classes so that you can help other writers reach their goals. Just head over to authoraccelerator.com slash writerfiles for more info and to get a free seven-day writing challenge to start mapping out your own book. That's authoraccelerator.com slash writerfiles. I think we are all kind of scarred by our coming-of-age stories. And I think we are all consistently reliving our high school experiences even in our adult lives. Like, high school never ends. It's <laughs> no, just like, right. in, our, in our working professions, it's like, Oh, yeah, it's still high school. Social media is still high school. We all want to be at the cool kids table and we all feel like outsiders and nerds. And and so I did want to make a show, you know, I, I did want to make that show, but I wanted to use every single creative muscle that I could that I could wield being given a chance, you know, to to, to make to make something. <laughs> Hey there, and welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your host, Kelton Reed, and this week, the showrunner and executive producer of Netflix Daybreak, Aaron Eli Colite, took a break to chat with me about what it takes to survive high school at the apocalypse, paying his dues in Hollywood, and the collaborative nature of world building and script writing for TV. Aaron's a comic book writer, TV writer, and producer best known for his work on the popular NBC series Heroes and the CBS series Star Trek Discovery. His latest is the dark zombie comedy series Daybreak, starring Matthew Broderick, co-created with Brad Payton for Netflix. It's been called Mad Max meets Ferris Bueller's Day Off and is based on Brian Ralph's graphic novel series of the same name. In addition to multiple other projects in development, Aaron has helped co-develop and produce the newest version of Lock and Key for Netflix, including co-writing 
the first episode with comic book series creator Joe Hill. In part one of this file, Aaron and I discussed how his lifelong love of comic books boosted his career, what it was like to earn his stripes working with Tim Krang on Crossing Jordan and the groundbreaking Hero series, why his latest show terrifies him as a writer, how so much iconic film and TV informed the unique genre-bending world of Daybreak, why cliffhangers are so important for propelling your audience to a finale, and the difference between writing for the streaming model versus episodic TV. And do me a huge favor if you want to support the show, hop over to survey.libsyn.com slash writerfiles and fill out that short seven-question survey so we can learn a little bit more about you, our audience. That's survey.libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com slash writerfiles. It's very simple, helps a lot. That link is also in the show notes, and I thank you ahead of time. The Writer Files is brought to you by my friends at copyblogger.com. Words that work. Build your online authority with powerfully effective content marketing. Get superior content marketing education so you can build a remarkable online presence. Authors, bloggers, journalists, online publishers, and entrepreneurs, head over to copyblogger.com to learn more. That's copyblogger.com. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published and leave us a rating or a review over on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. And we are back on The Writer Files and I am really honored today to be joined by a special guest. Aaron Eli Colite is joining us today and um really hoping that i pronounced that correctly yeah perfect well done thank you um yeah man we were just uh kind of digging into the origin of your name um but uh which was a fascinating story unto itself but i'm really looking forward to digging into uh your writing process and kind of talking about uh what it's like to be an executive producer for this fantastic new netflix uh program daybreak and just kind of all things writing so uh welcome Thank you. It's such an honor to be here. I really love your show, and I'm uh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to talk to you, man. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate it, and I'm sure um, that listeners are going to get a kick out of this one because you have this really, really interesting, uh, storied past <laughs> as a writer. And so, I want to kind of dig into, of course, as we do, your superhero origin story, yeah, and go back because you know, as I understand it, you were a comic book writer kind of mm-hmm. before you did screenwriting and, and TV production stuff? No, I think it was actually, I mean, it, it was, it's a combination of both. You know, I was, I, I think, you know, A, I was a comic book fan <laughs> uh, way before it was cool to be a comic book fan. Um, <laughs> I've been going to, you know, my comic book shop once a week since I was, since I was 12 years old. And you know, my first gigs were as a writer's assistant and a researcher on on lots of different TV shows. And when you're in that position, which is a really hard, like it's it's a harder job to get a writer's assistant position on a TV show because there's only one of you mm-hmm. uh, than than it is to be a writer, where where you have staffs, you know, from from five writers to to some shows have, you know, fifteen to twenty. Um, sure. so those are really coveted spots and, 
I, you know, as a writer assistant, you're just consistently working on your writing, consistently trying and consistently uh, attempting to better yourself. And so kind of at that time, as I was both getting my first script assignments in television, I was getting little, <laughs> little one shot comic book uh, gigs at the same time. Cool. Uh, and, and I appreciated every single one of them. Like it was like all these like little top cow assignments and you just, you just kept on, I just kept on working at it and trying to make it, trying to, trying to work my way into getting a stable writing job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which you did obviously. Um, and you've worked on some really impressive shows, um, dating back to, it's, it sounded like you were working with Tim Kring like really early in your career. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So I started as a researcher on Crossing Jordan, which was Tim Kring's first show that he created. And so I was a support staff. I helped the writers do do all the research for the crimes. And on that show, I, I got some story credits, then I got a script credit, and then Tim staffed me. Uh, and I got my first staff writer job there. And I like to say I was the <laughs> the nerd in the room when <laughs> he was creating Heroes. Yeah. So he, he looked around his writer's room and he was like, hey, 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 geek, come talk to me. I have this crazy idea for this show about people with with superpowers. And and, you know, this is people have to remember, like, this is way before Iron Man and yeah. and before the birth of and Marvel Marvel Comics at this exact moment in time, by the way, is bankrupt. <laughs> Right <laughs> is is pull, they're they're pulling themselves out of bankruptcy. It's amazing, and is and so you know to show how far you know just to how far ahead of the curve Heroes was at the time. That's the state of comic books. But of course, I was trying to individually support Marvel as, as much as I could with my own <laughs> with my own bank account. Yeah. Um, so he pulled me and and his own assistant Joe Pekaski. Uh, kind of into the process very, very early on when he was even just writing the pilot to kind of help with, you know, like, where, where am I, you know, where am I treading into territory that's been done before? How do we make this new? You know, he often talked, he was like, I have, you know, I have this idea of this guy and he can, he can, he can move metal with his mind. And we're like, yeah, that's Magneto. You can't really, (laughs) like, like maybe not go there, but like, we can totally do this over here. And, and Joe and I were also like such young writers at the time that we didn't know, like, we're like, we're just going to devote everything to making this show a reality and help Tim in the process without any, like we didn't have contracts. We didn't have anything. We just like, we loved this show so much. And Tim was a really amazing mentor because he just folded us into the process and and helped us learn like okay this is what it's like to create a show and this is what it's like to create a bible and 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 have all the weaponry needed to get the show picked up and kind of for our our diligence and our hard work you know he was really an advocate for us and moving us up moving me up you know to kind of take control of the of the web comics that we did that first season and really empowered you know me and I, I think that 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 move one hundred percent made my career. Interesting. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction, 
And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Yeah. I mean, heroes was pretty groundbreaking and it was, um, I mean, I was a fan, um, but it was just the, the, you know, the cast was incredible, right? I mean, you worked with Milo Ventimiglia like really mm-hmm. early in his career before Completely. he was. And even, and even that, even, you know, Milo, Zach Quinto, Hayden, yeah. I mean, it, it was, they were all stars. Stacked, I mean, really it stacked, stacked cast. It was, of, it was a stacked cast. And the other thing is like, it was a stacked writer's room. Like, and I was a really young writer at the time and it was my, it was, it was my second job. And I was in a room with, with Jesse Alexander and Jeff Loeb and Michael Green and Brian Fuller and Natalie Chidez and Adam Armas and Kay Foster and, and me and Joe Pekaski. And we I was like, oh my God, I got, I got called up to the Yankees of writing staff. This is, <laughs> this is cool. amazing. Um, so I had all these ridiculously great, uh, individually unique creative mentors that, that would, you know, really, you know, that didn't treat me like, like a, like a kid. They didn't treat, they didn't treat me like, oh, you're, you know, like these are, these are people who had run their own shows, you know, who had created, (laughs) who had created some of the most iconic comic book runs of all time. And, and I got to play with them as if I was an equal. And I think that, that, that gave me a lot of confidence in, and belief that I could like, no, I could do this, uh, and not to be intimidated by the process. Incredible, um, opportunities of a lifetime, it sounds like. And so, you know, between, so from there, from heroes to today and now writing and executive producing daybreak, for Netflix, I mean, that's uh, a little bit different kind of writing, correct? It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's I, one thing I'll say about Daybreak is is it it terrifies me as a writer consistently, <laughs> and I think that's a really good thing. Um, but <laughs> but it is it is it is absolutely 
a show that is, you know, I think has been percolating in my head since I was in mm-hmm. junior high um, and is born out of every single movie reference, TV reference, all the accumulated pop culture, movies, film, and TV has been put in the blender <laughs> of my soul and poured into yeah. the show. So it's a combination of not only mining the emotion and and tragedy that we all feel feel and pain of high school and junior high school and putting it into a show uh, along with all the media references. But also, you know, look at my looking at my resume, like I'm not a comedy writer. (laughs) And Hmm. um, and and this is a show that is filled with with hopefully enormous amounts of humor to kind of juxtapose against the horror of the apocalypse and the emotion that we're trying to elicit. Mm-hmm. And I don't write jokes. I don't. <laughs> I I I love you know. There's comedies that I adore that I think have really shaped me. Um, that I you know totally digest. But like, I'm not a trained comedy writer. I do not know like what the hell I'm doing in terms of of, of creating a humorous show. But I think mm-hmm. that that's what terrifies me on a daily basis. Which is how do we make this something that is that that can contain everything we want. And deliver on and deliver on a show that actually makes people laugh mm-hmm. out loud. So, so that is that is terrifying <laughs> to me. Well, it's it's kind of a, a high wire, yeah, act in a sense. And uh, but it's it works. I mean, but the, I think the interesting thing for me watching it and and getting so many of these references, and I'm sure that there's many more that I don't get. It's just it's just the sheer number of those references as you go, you know, as you go along. It's, a, it's not a one-trick pony, in other words. It's not like, you know, I know it's billed as, you know, and listeners, if, if you're not familiar, it's billed as uh, kind of a Mad Max meets Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? But it's yeah. so much It's so much more than like a, a John Hughes uh, meets, you know, the apocalyptic, uh, you know, and you've referred to a lot of these references from your, from your youth. And I have the same, I have this, I had many of the same connections, you know, that kind of, what was it Night of the Comet? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, Night of the Comet was a major is <laughs> this major reference, yeah. and I I love that I felt like that 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 as I've been talking about the show, you know, so many more people are like, I love Night of the Comet. Yeah, and <laughs> and it's like we all have these like weird little. <laughs> Well, wonderfully shared but experiences. The Night of the Comet is not a great movie. I mean, it's no offense to to. No, um, it's not a great. It's not a great movie. I mean, I'm sure it's not a great movie, but it's a great. It's <laughs> it's a great movie. It's one that stuck for, with for, me for, as a for the, as for a young man. Yeah. Me, it stuck with me. Yeah. It made it made an indelible impression on my soul. And like, <laughs> like, like there are these things that 11 year old me thinks are classic television shows and classic yeah. movies that certainly nobody <laughs> that nobody yeah. else thinks the same thing like so I, was, I was i was just referencing <laughs> i was referencing tales of the golden monkey the other day okay <laughs> as like like you guys this is the best tv show ever that's spielberg no i don't I okay don't, it was it was such a it was definitely a post indiana jones hey can we recreate uh, can we recreate Raiders on oh, television? God, yeah. um, <laughs> Interesting. Uh, moment. But it certainly wasn't, it, like, I'm sure it wasn't good. It only lasted a f- one season. 
But for me, it was <laughs> like it was everything, and it falls in the category of like Tales of the Golden Monkey, Auto Man, which I thought was mm. a, like the most brilliant TV show of all time. <laughs> v, you know, there are the all these 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 shows that you know mm. when you're young and you're watching them. They just like penetrate your soul in such a in such a really tremendous fashion that they that they that they really kind of start to alter your DNA and how you perceive the world. And and they and they stay with you and they might be terrible, but they're like it. it, it, They're still good for you. Well, that's interesting that you reference, you know, I mean, because because these were like event that was like event television and we all talked about it you know, at school or whatever, you know, if you were watching V as a young, as a young person, you know, your parents were letting you stay up and, and, you know, it was, it was kind of frightening, uh, yeah. honestly for the time <laughs> it was like, Oh my gosh, I'm watching V and I probably shouldn't be. And it's going to scare them. You know, I'm gonna have nightmares about it. Um, but looking back, it's kind of, kind of interesting, um, that, you know, we all watched the same thing at the same time. And that's, that's, you know, we're in a different era now where everything's kind of, you know, that media landscape has been been fractured and so now you're writing this you know you're writing for the streaming model right Mm -hmm. which is a little bit different than that time in history talk about that a little bit well it's different and and you know i i think that there's also something that i'm i'm attempting to do with this show in particular that is that's that's a little retro in a way that that people might start picking up on you know i think that tv is tv um and and it is changing, but it's also it also you know is still digested in in a very similar fashion. And you write it in, in a similar fashion of 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 what I learned in on Heroes, or even being influenced by Lost or Alias, which is you're still you still need a cliffhanger at the end of an episode. Mm-hmm. It still needs to drive you forward into the next episode, leading up to a season finale. That has not changed since since the early serials and since the rise of serialized television, like you still need to propel your audience to continue watching. You don't want to give them excuses. And certainly in, in a Netflix bingeable universe, like you do need to feed the audience. Essentially you need to make them drug addicts for your show. Mm -hmm. So when people say, you know, Oh, I've been, I I watched the whole thing in a night. I watched the whole thing in a day. That is certainly part of the goal. (laughs) <laughs> um, and, and I think that that is, that has been escalated in a streaming world. But the other thing that was really important to me, because it's something that, that actually got me into television is I miss the, the ability to say, I love the episode where, mm-hmm. and I think that that has, that has started to, to kind of fade away from our conversations. And look, I love Netflix. I love the ability to binge a show. And I love all the Marvel shows on Netflix. I love End of the World. I love, there's so much that I love. But when people say it's like a 10-hour movie or a 13-hour movie, that's correct. I think you start to blend the episodes together and you don't have the ability to be able to say, oh, like what episode did that happen in? Mm -hmm. Or when when did that moment happen? Like I remember the show but it all kind of feels like a a massive chunk of 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 one thing. And one thing I wanted to bring back and and doing it and and splitting a difference between keeping a a serialized bingeable experience and bringing back the notion of 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 episodic storytelling was bringing back the idea of like I want to have 
each episode feel like its own movie and have its own identity mm-hmm. and and really digging into character POV in certainly ways that that you know is not I, I'm not breaking new ground on that. You know, Lost has done it. Orange is the New Black has done it. But I think what I really wanted to do was create a deeper identity for that episode in particular so that people could say, I love the Wesley episode. I love mm-hmm. the Angelica episode. I love the Sam Dean episode. I love the Miss mm-hmm. Crumble episode. And I think I've, you know, I've noticed people saying that more now. Uh, in regards to Daybreak, and and that's a true accomplishment for me. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, kudos on the uh, the series. It is um, just a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I started writing down some of the references as I was watching just to see, if, like, how many I could pick out of there. And I'm like, all right, we've got, like, some Sam Raimi, obviously a lot of John Hughes. Mm-hmm. Um, Ferris Bueller, obviously, is one of my favorite movies of all time. And um, Warriors. Uh, yes. Of course, the Mad Max uh, stuff. And then, you know, you've got Spielberg, Stephen King stuff, John Carpenter, mm-hmm. Sam Raimi, yep. R- Romero. I mean, you had to, you had to obviously pull from that, from all those great, uh, genre zombie, uh, references, but so mm-hmm. much going on there. And I'm sure there's many more, you know, it's like, um, even blade, remember blade with Wesley Snipes Yep. and his kind of, and of course that kind of, uh, Akira Kurosawa seven samurai. <laughs> piece is pretty cool um but yeah it's like there's so much going on it's kind of it's kind of head spinning but um yeah it does just it does kind of it's very surprising the way that you took you know brian ralph's kind of uh graphic novel Mm -hmm. and turned it into this uh high school you know almost an almost indescribable kind of end of the world show so congratulations <laughs> <laughs> thank you i mean it's like it's a show that like by all intents and purposes like it shouldn't work I and mean, when you call it a high wire act is is exactly what it feels like it's it was <laughs> but you know th- we get so few shots at at doing something really really different and really that is an attempt on you know on my part to be like i want to just like do something that's, that 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 resonates that that is purely a reflection of like, this is my twisted brain and, and my ADHD <laughs> and I want to expose, <laughs> expose it to the entire world um, sure. and make something that, that, could, that could actually speak to, to Gen Z and, and also speak to, 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 to other generations as well uh, yeah. with, with the, whether it's, whether it's you know, what, what kids are actually confronting uh, right now in their own coming of age stories or, or people looking back and, and catching all the references that, that I'm making um, and seeing themselves in, 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 in their own coming-of-age stories. It's like, I don't know if it's I have Arrested Development, um, mm-hmm. or, which I certainly probably have, but I'm just, I've always been such a sucker for a great coming-of-age story. 
whether it's being a kid and watching something like Stand By Me or even being an adult and watching Stranger Things or Friday Night Lights. It's like mm-hmm. you just, you know, I think I think we are constantly I think we are all kind of scarred by our coming of age stories. Yeah. <laughs> and I think oh, sure. and I think we and I think we are all consistently reliving our high school experiences, even in our adult lives, like high school never ends. It's <laughs> just like right. in our, in our working professions, it's like, Oh yeah, it's still high school. Social media is still high school. We all want to be at the cool kids table and we all feel like outsiders and nerds. And, and so I did want to make a show, you know, I, I did want to make that show, but I wanted to use every single creative muscle that I could, that I could wield being given a chance, you know, to, to make, to make something. It's like, Mm -hmm. I didn't want, I didn't want to leave anything, you know, unsaid or undone. Like there's so many shows right now. There's so like this daybreak is launching at a time when (laughs) there is so much on. Um, and, and, and even a whole new network appeared, (laughs) right. (laughs) You know, (laughs) Apple TV appear, a a new network happened as we launched, (laughs) You know, a week right. after we launched, there's a, oh, there's a there's a whole other network now that we have to compete with, mm-hmm. and so I did want to make sure, like in this time when there's so much competing for your eyeballs, like I I wanted to make sure that I took the biggest swing that I could take. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's definitely um, uh, a lot of fun. I want to say, um, listeners, if you haven't checked it out, definitely pop over to Netflix and watch Daybreak <laughs> and try to pick out. A, some of these references that we're talking about as you go along, if you're ready for it, get, grab, grab a notebook and uh, try to job some of it. The, there's so many great, great um, kind of filmic and, and pop culture references. Of course, you probably have to be of a certain age to get some of them, but many of them are, are very relatable because they're movies and, and TV shows that we've all watched before. But we go on and on about that, I'm sure. But I think really what I want to talk to you about is kind of the process of how this uh, show is made and how, how shows like these are made, um, you know, starting kind of in the, in the writer's room and, and, mm-hmm. you know, how you've, how you've worked with, you know, obviously a staff of writers to um, create this show and then, and then, you know, what, what the next project is for you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us for this half of the writer files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review to help other writers find us. You can always leave us a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm where we also humbly ask you to support the show with a secure donation to help us keep going. Just click the little yellow PayPal donate button over at writerfiles.fm and you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week and thank you.